The following program is a presentation of Jazz Sports. Hello again everyone and welcome in this special edition of the main roster this is our tlc pay-per-view recap on today's episode we're going pre and post the tlc pay-per-view with the preceding smackdown and the following raw but without further ado let's get stuck into this week's smackdown the go-home show for the tlc pay-per-view the recaps for this week's smackdown are provided by the bleacher report You can see all of their content across various different sports and entertainment platforms at thebleacherreport.com. King Corbin and Dolph Ziggler kicked off this evening's broadcast in a celebratory mood after the humiliation of Roman Reigns a week ago. Corbin announced heightened security to keep Reigns out, and if he still somehow made his way into the building, he would face a fate worse than a week ago. The New Day interrupted. Big E said that he had heard their names and appeared like magic. When Corbin brought up Kofi Kingston losing the WWE title in 8 seconds, the babyface said he still considers himself a champion of the people. The promo continued back and forth until a match between Kingston and Corbin was made for later in the show. This would have been a fairly standard start to SmackDown were it not for the intervention of the New Day. WWE are really forcing their metaphors right now. The big dog is unchained, whatever that means. Was he chained before? Chained in what way? How will his performance this week, as the unchained big dog, be different from the last few months of chained big dog? These metaphors are just empty words without any meaning. Adding Kofi Kingston's speech promo to his performance as WWE Champion, I would love to see the New Day leave the tag team division behind. Not split up, but pursue singles interests as a unit. One positive babyface unit in the pursuit of common goals. Big E is just waiting to be let off. He needs a run at the title of his own. I would absolutely love to see Big E take a shot at the Fiend for the Universal Championship. Flanked by the New Day, obviously. The clash of cultures and attitudes would make for great television. Not to mention great matches. Book it, WWE. Book it down. Really? I mean, is that going to be a thing now? Do you like it? I like it. Thanks, Ketchum. SmackDown's opening contest saw Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss take on Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. Before the match could kick off, the Golden Goddess and Sonya Deville attacked Cross and Alexa Bliss. The action spilled into the ring where the goddess broke up a double suplex and Cross picked up a victory in short order, pinning Rose. You know what? I asked for more fire and desire against Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss, and I got it. More again, please. Keep that sweet stuff coming. Backstage, we saw Heavy Machinery attempt to give a gift to Sami Zayn. I feel like I should hate Otis Dozovich's hyperventilating Neanderthal shtick, But it never fails to make me chuckle. WWE have done a good job of presenting him as a simple, meat-loving, weightlifting, genuine bloke. I don't know why, but I like it. This backstage meeting set up a match later in the night. More on that later. 
Back at ringside then, Chad Gable and Ali took on the Revival. The entrances for this match were probably more entertaining than the match itself, as Dash Wilder tripped over the SmackDown entranceway and fell on his rear end. Dash Wilder handled falling over during his entrance in the best way possible. I meant to do that. It's my new gimmick, he shouted at Ali and Gable with a smile on his face. He owned the moment and therefore nobody could laugh at him. Kudos, Wilder. Kudos. Speaking of the Revival's gimmick, can we go back to putting a greater emphasis on their no-flips, just-fists ethos? Maybe go on a Drew Gulak-style mission to eliminate all those teams who are high-flying and flipping around. So, anyway, a match did eventually happen. Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder grounded Shorty G and worked him over. Ali exploded into the match and took Wilder down with a head scissors on the arena floor as they headed into a break. As the match reached its conclusion, Shorty G delivered a bridging German suplex. Wilder broke up the pin attempt with a splash. Ali answered with a 450 splash of his own to Wilder as the action heated up. The revival recovered and delivered a shatter machine for the win. As you've probably gathered from my tone throughout, this match wasn't really anything special, and I still don't really like the thrown-together team of Chad Gable and Mustafa Ali. Speaking of things I don't like, it's Elias and Dana Brooke. The pair interrupted Bailey's interview segment and then proceeded to sing a song for Bailey, claiming that Elias was her secret Santa. Can we talk about threesomes on a PG show? I'm asking for a friend. That friend is Elias, and I don't think he can. The product of this backstage confrontation was a match between Dana Brooke and SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey. Colin Graves questioned how Bailey would fare without Sasha Banks accompanying at her ringside, as, get this, Sasha Banks was away recording a rap album. Lol. Brooke attacked early and often, determined to knock off the champion and pick up the biggest win of her career. Unfortunately for her, Bailey recovered and dropped her face first to score the win. The next segment on SmackDown as I rub my hands in glee was an interview segment where Renee Young interviewed The Miz in his home. Renee Young asked The Miz why he has taken such an interest in the whereabouts of Daniel Bryan given their storied history. He admitted his respect for Bryan. As weird as it sounds, I guess it's time for The Miz to do the right thing. Family is the most important thing to me he said when asked about the match with Wyatt and what about him has changed. Before Miz could answer if he was afraid of facing Wyatt, his wife Marie screamed. Miz ran to join her and saw their daughter surrounded in her crib by the puppets from the Firefly Funhouse. They rushed to the child's room where they found a doll dressed like the fiend. Immediately after this segment, Wyatt introduced a new Firefly Funhouse where he offered to show the Miz how to learn not to feel love. How perfect was the moment in Monroe Sky's bedroom? That kid sold the moment perfectly, being scared to death of the doll, the baby cam footage of all the other toys in her crib. Very well done. Miz's interview was excellent too. I like babyface Miz, maybe even more than I liked heel Miz, and that was a whole hell of a lot. 
The results of Cesaro spilling Otis's meat saw Heavy Machinery take on Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. Heavy Machinery rolled into the commercial break, squashing Cesaro and clearing the squared circle of the opposition. Back from the timeout, the heels dominated by isolating Tucker. They beat him down for a few minutes before a hot tag to Otis sparked the babyface comeback. The big man rolled, laying out both opponents. Late in the match, and moments after Otis executed the Caterpillar, Sami Zayn provided a distraction that allowed Nakamura to score the pinfall victory for the heels. The main event of SmackDown saw Kofi Kingston take on King Corbin, or at least that was what was supposed to be the main event. Kofi Kingston sought to silence King Corbin in the night's main event and appeared to be on his way to doing it early. Corbin, though, grounded him heading into the break and continued to punish the former WWE champion following the commercial. Dolph Ziggler interfered at one point to ensure the continuation of Corbin's dominance. Kingston delivered an SOS to spark a comeback. The boom drop followed and Kingston set up for trouble in paradise. Ziggler again interfered, though, only to be tossed from ringside by the official. A brawl broke out at ringside between Kingston, Big E, Ziggler and Corbin, leading to the referee throwing the match out. Big E entered the ring and demanded a tag team match between the four. Back from the final commercial break of the night, the heels cut the ring off, isolating Big E and keeping him from his partner. A missed double axe handle from Corbin gave way to a belly-to-belly suplex from Big E and a hot tag to Kingston. Ziggler dropped Big E with a super kick and Corbin downed Kingston with a clothesline. The heels handcuffed the babyface and looked to humiliate him in the same fashion they did Roman Reigns a week earlier. The big dog's music played though and Reigns unloaded on anyone in his path, including the Revival, who had arrived to assist the heels. Corbin blindsided Reigns, but the babyface fought him off with a Superman punch. Reigns sought to return the favour to the heels, but Ziggler dropped him with a superkick. The Revival placed him on the announce table and Ziggler climbed a ladder. Reigns recovered and met him up top, slamming him through the table below. This main event sought to do nothing more than add fuel to the fire for the two matches at the TLC pay-per-view, Roman Reigns and King Corbin, and also the tag team championship match between The New Day and The Revival. I liked that Ziggler, Revival, Roman, etc. didn't clear the announce table before doing that final table spot. I genuinely thought that nobody would be going through it because it wasn't cleaned off. It was nice to be surprised by something that I thought was predictable. I still don't see a difference between this unchained Reigns and regular Reigns, but if they'd stop calling him the big dog and continue to keep him out of the title picture, I could finally grow to like Roman Reigns. Let's get straight into the pay-per-view, shall we? Or rather, the kickoff show. There was only one match on the kickoff show, and I think that shows how quickly and slapdash the TLC build-up has been. Not only that, but this wasn't announced in advance and they had to give us a rematch from Monday Night Raw rather than any other built-up feud. Not the best look for WWE, if I'm completely honest. So this match saw Andrade take on Humberto Carrillo And all of our match recaps for this special episode are presented by cbssports.com. 
Andrade swung momentum his direction through the match by pushing Carrillo off the top rope to the ringside floor before he could execute a dive. Carrillo took a methodical beating from Andrade, specifically targeting the knee, but he was able to turn things around by dumping Andrade from the ring to the outside. Andrade took a big kick from Carrillo, suffering a cut from the blow that covered the left side of his face in blood. Andrade fought back, hitting a double stomp from the top rope onto the chest of Carrillo as he hung just above the ring apron, and from there the match picked up significantly in pace and intensity for their stretch run. Andrade nearly ran into an interfering Zelina Vega, as had just had happened on Raw, and this allowed Carrillo to win their first meeting. But he stopped short. In the ensuing confusion, Carrillo hit a reverse Hurricane Rana from the second rope and a massive moonsault to get the 1-2-3. Following the match, Andrade refused to speak with Vega and waved her off before walking to the back. Aside from the match itself, I must say that doing picture-in-picture adverts during matches on the kickoff is super annoying. I personally don't think that anybody watches the kickoff and is persuaded to subscribe to the WWE Network by the kickoff. So you're all you're really doing is pissing off your existing subscribers. Do you think you could limit your advertising to before and after matches? In terms of the match, it was fine. It wasn't really much different from what we saw on Raw. My big question here is, are they really breaking up Andrade and Zelina? Have they not noticed that Andrade has the promo skills of a brick? I hope this is just a method of putting more intensity into Andrade and pushing him a bit further to acting more on his own in the ring than relying on Zelina Vega to win the matches for him. The TLC pay-per-view proper kicked off with the SmackDown Tag Team Championship ladder match featuring The New Day, Kofi Kingston and Big E against the Challengers Revival. This got off to a fast start. The ladders were introduced early by Dawson and Wilder, but it was Kofi Kingston who got the spotlight early with an awesome dive out of the ring onto a ladder held by the Revival, taking out all three men. Big E took a nasty bump off the ladder, leading to a pair of ladder-assisted low blows from the Revival, who took full advantage of the lack of rules in the match. Kingston always shines in these moments, and tonight was no different, as he continued to break out those only Kofi could moments throughout the match. I will discuss this shortly. Kingston also came up short at times, once getting caught in a shatter machine off a ladder that required Big E to make the save, as Revival were climbing towards the title belts. As has become a requirement in WWE ladder matches, multiple ladders were slowly pieced together into a larger structure, which eventually led to Big E taking a suplex on the ladder held between another and the middle rope. When the ladder didn't break, Wilder came off the top rope with a splash on Big E, breaking the ladder. In the finish to the match, Kingston was hung horizontally on the ladder with his legs through the rungs. Just as Revival went to grab the titles, Big E came back and hit Wilder with a big ending from the ladder to the canvas, leaving Dawson by himself. Dawson made a play for the titles, but Kingston pulled himself up, hitting Dawson with the hanging titles before retrieving them for a successful title defence. The CBS recap there mentioned a few awesome moments that Kofi Kingston pulled off during the match. Here are some nice moments that I picked out uh, from all of the competitors. 
Kofi Kingston, first of all, trying to baseball slide the ladder, but Revival lifted the ladder out of the way and then slammed it back down into him. I thought that was particularly effective. Uh, the moment that was mentioned in the recap, Kofi Kingston jumping rib first into the ladder just to crush it into the Revival below him. Very good moment. And Dash Wilder's splash at the end of the match to break the ladder, even though he really has no business doing anything from the top rope. I personally wanted to see the Revival take the belts away from TLC, but despite that, this was a fantastic match. Probably one of the best tag team ladder matches in WWE in recent memory. Great way to get the pay-per-view underway. Next was one of my most anticipated matches of the event, Alistair Black against Buddy Murphy. Black went for a black mass as the first move of the match, but Murphy evaded. Murphy cracked Black to the jaw with a big knee strike as the two started with a hot, high-speed open. Black responded to the knee with a series of hard kicks to the chest, maintaining that this is a fight tone that had been laced throughout their storyline leading to the match. With Murphy targeting his jaw, Black began to bleed, seemingly due to a broken nose. Black and Murphy continued bludgeoning each other with big strikes, leading to Black hitting a brutal-looking jumping knee to the face. Murphy trapped Black's head against the top turnbuckle and landed a series of kicks to the face and a running sit-out powerbomb for a near fall. After a big strike exchange, Murphy hit a brainbuster for yet another near fall. Again, the two launched into an exchange of strikes. This time, however, Black closed the exchange with a black mass out of nowhere for the pin. This match was not the technically sound match I was expecting, but it was very compelling. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Buddy Murphy brought the fight to Alistair Black in a way that I don't think anybody else really has on the main roster, maybe with the exception of Cesaro. The next segment was an open challenge for the Raw Tag Team Championships. This was answered by the Good Brothers, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Okay, I can dig that. This match would be better with build, but I definitely want to see it. In this match, the OC looked to prove that they were the best tag team in the world, an honour they won in the tag team turmoil match at Crown Jewel. The match was, as expected, big boy tag team wrestling, with Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson able to go shot for shot with the War Viking Machine Raider experience. Ivar took a big bump off the top rope, flipping as he was shoved off by Gallows but he quickly rebounded with a handspring back elbow into a Viking experience on Anderson. Gallows made the save and the two teams eventually ended up spilling to the outside, where all four men were counted out. The Viking Raiders eventually put Anderson through a table that was set up at ringside for a family to eat KFC at during the match. The War Viking Machine Raider experience enjoyed home field advantage uh, during this match in the home of the Minnesota Vikings, the match was a little slow in pace, considering what each of these men is capable of. Fairly sedate. My thoughts pretty much mirror those of the live crowd. Lame double count out is lame. Nothing more, really, this match than product placement for KFC. I kind of want my ten minutes back. Speaking of the potential for time that I might want back, next up was the TLC match between Baron Corbin, King Corbin and Roman Reigns. Now I don't like TLC matches without having to collect something from a top of ladder, 
I used to get really annoyed playing story mode on one of the old SmackDown versus Raw games, and they'd put me in a pinfall TLC. It's like having a football game where you can only kick field goals, or chess without a queen. It's just not the full experience. So then, the match itself. Corbin's security forces attacked Reigns before the start of the match, though he had no trouble disposing of them before hitting Corbin as he ran towards the big dog with a chair. Corbin hit a deep six shortly after the match officially began, but was not able to score the pin. Corbin put a beating on Reigns early, using a chair to lay in damage. Reigns came back strong with some of his signature offence, but Corbin cut off the rally with a choke breaker. Corbin mocked the ooh-ah of Reigns and paid a price for it, ending up on the receiving end of a Superman punch for a near fall. It was at that point Reigns introduced the first table of the match, setting it up before Corbin hit him in the face with a can of dog food, and then chokeslammed Reigns through the table for his own near fall. Corbin cleared off multiple announced tables, but a powerbomb attempt was countered into a Samoan drop from one table through the other. Dolph Ziggler was disguised at ringside and interfered with a superkick to put Reigns down again. Ziggler and Corbin tried to break out the handcuffs they'd used on the two most recent editions of SmackDown, but were taken out by Reigns before he grabbed a kendo stick, which was used on a litany of Corbin's security team members. The odds turned on Reigns again when the Revival ran in and laid him out. Reigns took out the Revival and Corbin before hitting a dive over the top rope onto everyone at ringside. As Reigns was setting up for the finish, Ziggler threw a chair into his head and hit a zigzag. The numbers were simply too great at that point, and the Revival hit a shatter machine on Reigns before Corbin hit the end of days on a steel chair for the three count. Other than the no DQ element, this match didn't at all benefit from the TLC stipulation. I like the end of the match, even though it means more Reigns versus Corbin in the future, I would expect. I would have been mighty put out if Super Reigns were able to overcome four wrestlers and 103 miscellaneous people. It absolutely makes logical sense that the odds would be too much for Roman Reigns. The match itself was forgettable, but the story it told was good enough in my book. The next match saw Bray Wyatt, that's Bray himself, not The Fiend, take on The Miz in a non-title contest. Although the referee probably should have been told it was non-title so that he didn't hold the championship belt into the air. Wyatt entered to the Firefly Funhouse theme song, smiling from ear to ear and declared himself really excited for this, before repeatedly holding up the belt to cheers from the fans. Wyatt, in full happy persona, was loving the interaction before The Miz stormed in with strikes, leading Wyatt to ask him to take it easy. Wyatt absorbed a beating without offering up much resistance, before an attempt at a sister Abigail backfired into a skull-crushing finale. Rather than go for the pin... Miz slammed Wyatt's face into the canvas over and over before locking in a submission, bending back Wyatt's fingers and arm while the champ laughed and implored him to do it. Wyatt rolled out of the ring and slammed his shoulder into the ringside barricade repeatedly, apparently attempting to fix a dislocated shoulder. Miz's aggression eventually backfired as he charged Wyatt and was thrown over the barricade, 
before Wyatt hit him with a hanging variation of Sister Abigail on the floor. Miz beat the count to avoid a countout, but he was hit with another Sister Abigail for the finish. The Fiend appeared on the Titantron after the conclusion of the match, and Wyatt, spurred on by the appearance of his alter ego, pulled a giant novelty mallet from under the ring. Before he used the weapon, the familiar Fiend sounds hit before Daniel Bryan, sporting a new short haircut, appeared in the ring and hit a running knee to lay out Wyatt. Bryan hit his trademark kicks and another running knee to the chance of yes from the crowd. He then took the mallet, but before he could use it, the lights went out in the arena and Wyatt had disappeared before they came back on. What an interesting dynamic was added to this match because The Miz was facing Bray Wyatt rather than The Fiend. The entrance of a happy-go-lucky dude that doesn't really want to fight is an excellent contrast to the frenetic, frantic, dominating style of The Fiend. For what is probably the first time in over 10 years, Michael Cole was great on commentary, trying to explain exactly what's going on in Bray Wyatt's head and freaking out whenever Bray Wyatt came near him. I can't decide if Daniel Bryan looks more like a teenager with his new hair and no beard, or whether he's the living embodiment of the energy Orange Cassidy doesn't exert. Thoughts and answers on a postcard, please. In their infinite wisdom, WWE decided to follow up the entertaining, quirky Miz vs. Bray Wyatt match with Bobby Lashley versus Rusev in a tables match. The match started as an all-out brawl. Rusev got the upper hand early and tried to bring a table into the ring, but Lana pulled it back out before he could use it. Both men escaped from further early attempts to use a table at ringside before Lashley avoided a slam through it by flipping over. He then rammed Rusev into the steps before breaking a table around the ring post as Rusev moved out of the way. As is the standard in tables matches, most of the offence revolved around both men nearly going through tables and finding ways to narrowly avoid defeat. Rusev used the ring steps to lay out Lashley before fetching a barricade, of all things, and ramming it into his opponent's body. Lashley turned the barricade around on Rusev, slamming him through it as it was propped against the ring apron. Lashley then grabbed a kendo stick and began working over the back and chest of Rusev. Rusev crawled towards Lana, pleading with her, but she simply pointed and laughed as the attack continued, with the kendo stick leaving a gash on the back of the Bulgarian. Rusev caught the stick as it was swung at his head, and he got fired up. Unfortunately, Lana jumped on his back and raked his eyes, allowing Ashley to spear him into the table, which did not break, before hitting a suplex through another one for the win. This match itself was as dull as this whole storyline. Hopefully, this is the end of it. One interesting thing, though. When Lashley went under the ring for a kendo stick, you could clearly see a dude under there watching a monitor. What's that about? The next and final match was the Women's Tag Team Championship Tables, Ladders and Chairs match with the Kabuki Warriors taking on Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Little time was wasted making this a full-on brawl. Lynch threw Asuka through chairs stacked on top of a table at ringside and Kyrie Sane ate a Flair big boot as she leapt from the ring apron to the outside. 
While Lynch and Flair were firing up, Asuka and Sane turned the tables by using chairs, including drop-kicking one into Flair's face. The makeshift team roared back with weaponry of their own before heading into the ring in an attempt to climb the ladder. Sane threw chairs from the outside into the ring as a distraction and then tried to run away by crawling under the ring. When Flair and Lynch pulled her out, she used a fire extinguisher to take the advantage back. A rope used by Asuka early in the match was used to tie Lynch to a ladder at ringside, and Flair was sent over the ringside barricade, seemingly leaving an opening for the champs to easily climb the ladder for the win. Flair ran back into the ring and used a kendo stick to knock Asuka and Sane from the ladder. After Lynch was freed from the rope, she and Flair took over, with Lynch eventually hitting a senton on Asuka, putting her through a table. Flair would go on to use sheer power to muscle Sane into a powerbomb through another table at ringside. As momentum continued to swing back and forth, Flair was the next woman to be put through a table, taking a powerbomb from the second rope into one at ringside. The finish came when Lynch was climbing the ladder and Asuka used the rope, which was still attached to the ladder from earlier, to tip it over and dump Lynch into the ropes. Asuka then climbed the ladder to retrieve the titles for the victory. Thrilled to see this match take place in the main event slot. I was really excited for this match, but I spent most of it concerned for everybody's safety as they failed to look after themselves. These ladies just seemed to take huge bump after huge bump and neglected to protect their heads at any point. I just felt uncomfortable watching the whole thing. Kairi Sane looked out of it for the majority of the match, and as it transpires, it is believed that she suffered a concussion fairly early into the match. The moment in which she was powerbombed through a table at ringside by Charlotte was incredibly uncomfortable to watch, as Kairi Sane was just dead weight in the arms of Charlotte, and Charlotte had to muscle Kairi up for the powerbomb. It really shouldn't have happened. I don't really think that Kyrie should have been in that match beyond the point at which she received the concussion. All in all, this was a fairly strange pay-per-view to end the year. A pay-per-view that was devoid of championship matches, at least singles championship matches, and really devoid of any coherence. Put together at the last minute, feuds that were just hanging around or feuds that were put together to form some kind of holding pattern while they waited to get to the real juicy feuds in 2020. It wasn't a bad pay-per-view by any means, but I don't think there is much that is going to be memorable about it. It's not a pay-per-view that we're going to be talking about years down the line, perhaps with the exception of the first in-ring appearance of Bray Wyatt in his current character. No championships changed hands, nothing of any consequence really happened. You could have missed this pay-per-view and storyline-wise you would be none the wiser. This week's Raw recap is presented by The Daily DDT. Check out their content at dailyddt.com. Seth Rollins enters the ring and introduces the authors of Pain, commending them for living on the right side of history with Rollins. Rollins talked about how everyone said he was the future leader of WWE, 
But the mood changed and those same people stopped believing in him. He retorts that being a leader is not about being cool, but it's instead more about doing what's best for the progress of Monday Night Raw. He asserts that he is a leader and visionary who made Kevin Owens an example of that progress. He further orates that he will impose his will on everyone and the authors of pain will enforce his will if they resist, like Owens did. He claims that he has an unpopular decision to make and that he will settle a score tonight. He dropped the mic to leave suspense for what's to come later tonight. This was another stellar promo to open Monday Night Raw. Did WWE learn its lesson with Roman Reigns and are now making the right decisions where it comes to Seth Rollins? I certainly think so. Reigns and Rollins obviously have a lot of parallels. Aside from both making their names in the Shield, they've both been positioned at the very top of the company, and they've each seen that fan base start to turn sour to them. Granted, Rollins deserved it a lot more after chatting b on Twitter for months, but that's neither here nor there. The difference here is that instead of stubbornly and bullheadedly sticking to their plan to ram them down our throats as babyfaces, as they did with Reigns, they've adapted to the audience and turned Rollins against them at a perfect time. Rollins has flipped from top babyface to top heel overnight, bringing AOP out of obscurity in the process. They've opened a ton of potential feuds that will bring babyface superstars to the next level, and, most importantly of all, ensured that we viewers have an entertaining show to watch, instead of having to set up hashtag boycott Rollins campaigns. A few weeks ago, I lamented the loss of Dio Madden on commentary, but a few weeks into the tenure of Samoa Joe on the mic, he has filled that gap and then some. Joe's intensity and depth of knowledge brings something very special to the desk. His ability to put guys over appears to be second to none. Listen to him describe the AOP. Now, what a lot of you don't appreciate is that the AOP are very, very, very dangerous men. Okay, the AOP are an overlooked commodity. I've been watching these guys in the back like two gigantic nuclear missiles sitting in the silo wondering who was going to press that button. These are men who are dangerous. They've been run out of every gym they've ever been a part of. And it's for a reason. These are the guys that hold on to leg locks too long. These are the guys that go a little bit too hard in sparring. These are the guys that don't do it because they need to. Hey, I may do terrible things. It's a means to an end. These guys do terrible things because they like to. Shit, son, you think they're more ruthless than you? Just for fun? All right, you have my attention. Next up on Raw was a TLC rematch for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Gallows and Anderson again took on the War Viking Machine Raider experience. But wait, this match is not for the Raw Tag Team Championships. It's non-title. Go figure that one. Eric and Ivar enter the ring, ready for battle. Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson come out with mics to talk about how the War Viking Machine Raider experience are very dominant Raw Tag Team Champions, but they are the best tag team in the world, and the first and only tag team to have pinned the War Viking Machine Raider experience on the main roster. The Vikings perform some ground-based offence to get the early advantage in the match. Eric and Ivar double-team Carl Anderson with spectacular tag team moves and a particular focus on Anderson's arm and jaw. 
Fast forwarding through the match, Ivar tags in for another double team move, but Gallows counters and tags in Anderson, who delivers an uppercut to Eric. He attempts a bicycle kick, but Eric counters with a powerbomb and tags in Ivar. Ivar goes to the top rope to deliver a moonsault, but Gallows takes Anderson out of harm's way as Ivar falls hard on the mat. Anderson tags in Gallows, but delivers a big boot to Eric outside the ring, and he and Gallows deliver a magic killer to the Raiders for the three count and the victory. Predictably, Gallows and Anderson won this match. The moment it became clear that this quote-unquote rematch was non-title was the moment that they screamed from the rooftops, the OC are winning this match, everybody. It's disappointing that we're left hanging two nights in a row. I get that good booking should always leave us wanting more, wanting the next match, but this just feels like someone stopped talking in the middle of... Super annoying, am I right? It's time once again for another Eric Rowan copypasta. Another week, another pointless Rowan squash match. In this match, the jobber crawled under the ring to try and get near the cage. He tried to take a peep at it, but Eric Rowan chased after him. The jobber tripped up, and I'm sure you just heard the hard sound of my eyes rolling, and Rowan capitalised, delivering a running crossbody to the jobber outside the ring. He then ragdolled him back into the ring and delivered two choke slams for a three count and the victory. Show of hands. Does anyone care what's in the basket? Anyone? No, I didn't think so. Next on EastEnders, I mean Monday Night Raw, Lana and Lashley came to the ring. Lana gloats about how Bobby Lashley defeated Rusev at TLC and talks about how hot Lashley is and how he gives her butterflies every day. The crowd chants Rusev Day as Lana talks about this, and Lashley commands the crowd to show her some respect. Lana asks Lashley to ask her to marry her, or something like that. Lashley responds that he does not like it when anyone tells him what to do. Except her. Lashley kneels down to tell Lana how they will be the best power couple in WWE, and then proposes to Lana. Lana responds that what Lashley said was exactly what they had rehearsed, and she says yes to the proposal. Lana says that they will get married on Lana Day. She and Lashley then kiss to close the segment. This segment was a whole lot more enjoyable without Rusev involved, and that isn't necessarily a knock on Rusev, but we all needed this to move on. They actually got me with Bobby's, I don't like it when anyone tells me what to do, I thought they were going to break them up right after Lana divorced Rusev and leave Lana on her own, but nope, they got me good. A bulk of this week's Monday Night Raw focused on a six-man gauntlet match, a number one contenders contest for the United States Championship. This gauntlet match featured Ricochet, Akira Tozawa, Humberto Carrillo, R-Truth, Matt Hardy and Andrade. R-Truth came out first and cut a promo about how John Cena was his hero for proposing United States Open Challenges. As the current 24-7 champion, he promises to hold on to that championship and the United States Championship all the way to WrestleMania. He humorously points at the WrestleMania sign, which has not actually been put up yet. Akira Tozawa comes out to wrestle R-Truth first. They start with some ground-based offence. 
R-Truth rallies with some shoulder blocks and elbow strikes. He shouts what's up to the crowd and charges at Tozawa in the corner. But Tozawa moves out of the way and Truth runs face first into the steel post. Tozawa delivers a senton bomb to R-Truth from the apron outside the ring and sends him back into the ring to deliver a missile dropkick. R-Truth goes for a scissors kick, but Tozawa rolls up R-Truth for the three count and the victory. R-Truth then runs out of the ring and into the crowd, as most of the jobbers from the Raw locker room chase him for the 24-7 championship. Tozawa advances to the next round of the gauntlet, and his next opponent is former United States champion Ricochet. Before we continue with this recap, what was the deal with the constant focus on the two blondes in the front row during R-Truth's entrance and promo? It was a bit weird and bordered on pointless objectification. Moving on. Back from commercial, Ricochet and Tozawa perform some aerial-based offence and Ricochet delivers a dropkick to Tozawa. Fast-forwarding to the end of the match, Ricochet delivers an enziguri and a flying clothesline from the ropes. As soon as he is about to deliver a standing shooting star press, Tozawa counters with a superkick and goes to the top rope for a senton bomb. However, Ricochet hits on the ropes to stop Tozawa and delivers the recoil to Tozawa for the three count and the victory. Ricochet advances to the next round of the gauntlet. His next opponent is Matt Hardy. To start the match, Hardy delivers a quick side effect to Ricochet for a two count. Meanwhile, a backstage camera shows Rey Mysterio watching the match and shining up the United States Championship. Ricochet goes to the top rope for a 6.30, but Hardy moves out of the way and attempts a twist of fate. Ricochet counters the twist of fate into a small package roll-up for a three count and the victory. Ricochet advances to the next round of the gauntlet, and his next opponent is Humberto Carrillo. After their brief break, Humberto Carrillo helps Ricochet up like a good sportsman, but Ricochet rolls up Carrillo out of pure desperation, having already been in two matches. They perform some aerial-based offence to start things off, and Carrillo takes control with an arm drag takedown. Ricochet rolls out of the ring, and Carrillo performs a suicide plancher to Ricochet. Carrillo keeps Ricochet grounded with focus on Ricochet's arm. He performs an arm drag and continues to lock in an arm bar. Ricochet rallies back and gets up on the apron with a headbutt in Carrillo's gut, and a falcon arrow for a two count. Zelina Vega then pops up on the stage area to watch this match closely. Zooming forward to the conclusion of this match, they are having a punching contest and Ricochet takes advantage with a northern lights and vertical suplex. Ricochet goes to the top rope, but Carrillo stops Ricochet with an enziguri and delivers a reverse Hurricane Rana. Ricochet lands on his feet, but Carrillo delivers a sunset flip powerbomb and a moonsault for the three count and the victory. Carrillo advances to face his final opponent, Andrade. However, Carrillo is attacked from behind by Andrade, who delivers two double knee stomps to Carrillo on the corner turnbuckle. He then tosses Carrillo outside the ring and rips up the mat on the floor to expose the concrete. He picks up Carrillo and delivers a hammerlock DDT to Carrillo onto the concrete. Rey Mysterio runs in to stop Andrade, and Andrade and Zelina Vega escape through the crowd. Mysterio checks up on Carrillo. As much as I appreciate a bit of escalation in the rivalry between Humberto Carrillo and Andrade, I don't appreciate all that gauntlet match being for naught. Roll him into the ring for an uncomfortable pin. 
compound Andrade's sickening behaviour with a cheap victory. Don't just end the match like that and award number one contendership to Andrade. It's stupid. Moving on to something more positive. A match took place between Asuka and Diona Perazzo. Diona Perazzo delivered a brogue kick to Asuka before the match in order to get an upper hand early as the show went into commercial. Asuka came back strong with a running hip attack and rolled up Perazzo for a two count. She continued to keep Perazzo down with arm and knee bars. Perazzo countered with a snap back neck breaker for a two count. Asuka rallied back with dirty kicks to the side of Perazzo's ear. She locked in an Asuka lock and Perazzo taps out. Asuka picked up an easy win here. I do love me some Diona Perazzo, but have we run out of women on Raw? Immediately following this match, there was an exclusive interview with Becky Lynch. She spoke about how the system, i.e. WWE, is shielding her from Asuka. Lynch doesn't want a shield to protect her from anything, and she needs Asuka in a match to prove to herself that she can defeat Asuka once and for all. And so I guess we're moving into an Asuka versus Becky Lynch program now. I don't really like that. I don't like it because Asuka isn't going to win. After all the work done to salvage Asuka's credibility as a legit badass, a loss to Becky Lynch is going to undo it all. Don't like it at all. Raw's main event was the highly anticipated match between Randy Orton and AJ Styles. Or at least, it was highly anticipated, if you ask the Raw commentary team. To start the match, Randy Orton and AJ Styles perform some ground-based offence. Randy Orton goes quickly for an RKO, but misses as Styles dodges and slithers out of the ring. Orton catches Styles and delivers a back suplex on the edge of the apron. They perform more ground-based offence in the ring, but Styles catches Orton in the calf crusher. Orton gets to the ropes as the crowd chants to four and Styles lets go. Orton sells his calf and rolls out of the ring. Skimming forward to a conclusion then, AJ Styles attempts a Styles clash, but Orton counters with a DDT from the ropes. Orton pounds the mat as if going for an RKO, but Styles counters with another calf crusher. Orton counters that and places Styles on the apron. Styles forearms Orton on the apron and goes for the phenomenal forearm, but flies into an RKO in midair. After the match, the OC attack Orton and the War Viking Machine Raider experience run in for the save, but the OC is too much for them as they close out the show dominant on Raw with a magic killer to the War Viking Machine Raider experience. The end of Raw was very nearly cut off by the USA Network in a repeat of last week's terrible timing issues. Thankfully, somebody noticed that they had switched into a preview of a new television programme and managed to cut back to the end of the match. As far as the match itself goes, I was hoping we could move through this fairly quickly so that we could get to the Orton versus McIntyre feud that they had teased, but I guess this thing between AJ and Orton isn't over yet. A distinctly average Raw that followed a distinctly average TLC pay-per-view then? WWE seemed to be firmly locked in that holding pattern, coasting in the skies above until we get to the Royal Rumble. I'm not expecting much from next week's Smackdown and Raw, but hopefully things will pick up as we get into 2020 and we really start heading towards WrestleMania.
That's it for the main roster in 2019. We're going to take a little break over the festive period and come back in the new year with brand new content, brand new ideas, and maybe even a brand new co-host. As we wrap things up here, then, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to anywhere that you are listening to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever. I think you can pretty much pick up this podcast anywhere that podcasts are offered. Give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us a review if that's a function that is possible. Just generally help us to get our name out there and bring the main roster to more ears. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this special TLC edition of the main roster. I hope that you all have a wonderful Christmas, a very happy new year, and I will catch you again in 2020. Peace. Peace.